Welcome to Weintraub Tobin's IP Law Blog Briefing, where we discuss recent articles published on our firm's IP-focused blog. We are conducting this discussion remotely, so please excuse in advance any technical difficulties. Today, we're talking with Josh Escovito about his article on the Ninth Circuit's recent ruling on the San Diego Comic Convention versus Dan Farr Productions. Josh, tell us a little bit about the case. Sure, Scott. So the case is about a trademark infringement action that was filed by the San Diego Comic Convention, which I think we're all familiar with. I mean, it sells out almost instantly every year. So presumably everybody knows what it is. Uh, they filed a lawsuit against... Go ahead. Did you have a question, Scott? It's a, no, it's the San Diego Comic Con. Did I... Yeah, you didn't say that part. You buried the lead. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> so... They sued, filed a lawsuit against Dan Farr Productions because Dan Farr Productions acted as if Comic-Con was not a registered trademark and they wanted to treat it as if it was something that they were allowed to appropriate for their own use. And so they wanted to act as if Utah Comic-Con or Salt Lake City Comic-Con uh, would have been a permissible use. And San Diego Comic-Con obviously didn't think that that was the case. Yeah, I understand from the facts of the case that Dan Farr Productions actually went as far as to promote the Utah, it was the Utah Comic Con or it was Salt Lake City Comic Con? I think it was Salt Lake City Comic Con. Well, he went so far as to promote his competing comic convention uh, the day of or the weekend of the San Diego Comic Con and actually had big posters and flyers and big trucks with banners driving right in front of the San Diego Convention Center where the San Diego Comic-Con is held. <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, misappropriating their IP wasn't enough. He really had to rub it in. Yeah. So, um, so tell us about um, Dan Farr's theory. So obviously San Diego Comic Convention had to file law a lawsuit. And they, um, they claimed that Dan Farr's uh, use of Comic-Con was infringing their registered trademarks. And so what was Dan Farr's argument uh, that he had a right to use Comic-Con? So Dan Farr argued that he had a right to use Comic-Con in, con in connection with the comic convention they were doing in Utah because he argued that uh, one of two things, and more generally speaking, he argued that San Diego Comic-Con's trademarks were generic, meaning that they simply um, referred to a type of product or service and not, and were not in any way indicative of source. And there were two theories in which Dan Farr furthered his argument. And one was a theory called generic ab initio, and the other was genericide. Yeah, genericide, um, genericide, it's interesting. Genericide is where Mark becomes generic due to widespread use by the public of the mark in a generic manner. It's similar to what almost happened to Xerox, and in fact, what did happen to Escalator. Now, most people don't know that Escalator was a, uh, it was a trademark owned by, I think it was the Escalator Company of Chicago, Illinois. Prior to that, those things that we now call Escalators were called moving staircases. Interesting, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about how the district court treated uh, Dan Farr's two theories. Sure. So 
The district court addressed both of the arguments in order. First, they addressed the argument about the mark being void ab initio, which is really legalese and can be distilled down to it was void prior to uh, the registration by comic by San Diego Comic Convention. And so that was one argument. And then the other, like I said, the other argument was the genericide. So the district court took up the void ab initio argument first. And in doing so, the district court acknowledged that the Ninth Circuit, which just to be clear, is the federal court of appeal that governs the district courts in California and the other Western states, uh, does not acknowledge void ab initio. And they actually have never addressed the matter or, or frankly, just don't consider void ab initio to be a thing in this district. So what the district court said was, you haven't provided any case law where a Ninth Circuit court has acknowledged this body of law or rendered it valid. And even if you had, we look at the case that you've presented and the evidence that you've put forth, and we don't think that you've put forth sufficient evidence that the mark was, was generic prior to San Diego Comic Convention's first use. Then, and what about, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask about the genericide uh, sure. argument. Sure. So the genericide argument the court dealt with by just looking at the evidence that was put forth and they said, with the evidence put forth, similarly to the ab initio argument, we don't believe that you've provided substantial evidence that the mark has become generic. In fact, uh, the court found that the evidence was utterly lacking. I, I think one, one of the most significant pieces of evidence that they put forth, and, and I say significant, uh, put that aside, um, the piece of evidence that they put forth was that the Oxford Dictionary defines con as referring to a conference. And the court looked at that and said, the body of law is clear that you have to look at the mark as a whole. You can't break it into its, its different pieces of the formative and then try to argue that it's generic. You need to look at the mark as a whole. And so the court wasn't really buying into that argument. Yeah, it seemed that the court uh, weighed very heavily the evidence put forth by San Diego Comic-Con. They had a very, um, uh, dis well, sufficient study that they submitted showing that uh, Comic-Con was distinctive with regard to the San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, and they had also other you know, expert testimony and other evidence showing reference to Comic-Con being associated with the San Diego Comic-Con and a wide variety of uses. Um, uh, and, and, and we also should remember that the defendant had a fairly high burden of proof that it had to meet in order to establish uh, that the mark, in fact, had become generic. So, um, so tell us how all this was treated at the Ninth Circuit in the, the, the case that you wrote on. Sure. So the Ninth Circuit reviewed the court's determination concerning genericness, and it also reviewed the attorney's fees award. Uh, as you know, we've just been discussing the genericness portion of that opinion, but uh, the Ninth Circuit was reviewing de novo, meaning they had the right to essentially review it as if it were just before the Ninth Circuit. They didn't have to provide any level of discretion to the district court's lower ruling. Uh, but what they did was they looked at the evidence and in a cursory manner said that we confirm that the district court's opinion was correct. There was no error. Uh, the level of evidence that was put forth was insufficient to warrant the argument 
that the marks were generic. And tell us about the other portion of the ruling, the, uh, the Ninth Circuit's uh, review of the attorney's fees award in the district case. Sure. So the, the Ninth Circuit applying the Sun Earth ruling, which, which um, applies octane fitness, which applies to patent disputes concerning attorney's fees um, in the trademark context, they found that this case was an exceptional case, which is the language used by the opinion. And they determined that it was an exceptional case because apparently the counsel for Dan Farr Productions and Dan Farr had engaged in gamesmanship at almost every turn of this case and apparently relitigated issues over and over again, which I obviously took the Ninth Circuit at its word when it mentioned this. But as you know, when we spoke earlier, I, I was going to take a look at the docket and there's about six to 700 different filings on the docket. So I, I think that's probably right that they relitigated every single issue. So the court said it had no issue with finding that this was an exceptional case that warranted the approximately $2.5 million in attorney's fees. The only issue that the Ninth Circuit had with the district court's ruling was that the district court granted an award of expert witness fees, which is not within the statute of permissible costs for general cases. Now the Lanham Act well, Congress, if they wanted to, could have expressly indicated in the Lanham Act that they wanted uh, an award of fees and costs to include expert witness fees. But because they didn't, the default is the general cost statute under the federal law. And that does not, and that's what applies. So the court found that the district court's ruling that the uh, San Diego Comic Convention was entitled to their expert witness fees was an error. Thank you, Josh. That was very interesting. And thank you all for joining Weintraub Tobin's IP Law blog briefing. To read Josh's article and other additional insightful articles on intellectual property issues, visit the IPLawBlog.com. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this installment of the briefing by the IP Law Blog. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, visit our YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to that as well. And check out our website at the IPLawBlog.com. Thanks.